The rest of you can turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, we're continuing to look at body life. What does the body life of the church look like? And if you're a guest with us this morning or you haven't, you don't know the message of the gospel that Christ came and died on a cross and rose again and that we can receive the gift of his death on our behalf by faith as, a, as, as something that God offers to us freely so that we can have an everlasting, eternal relationship with him. We can know that we're forgiven of sin, the evil that we commit against one another and even against God, and we can know the hope of heaven. If you, don't, if you haven't believed that, we're, we're talking this morning about why it matters to believe that. We're talking about what it looks like to believe that. Because in the world today, we, we talk about uh, getting along with people, in a sense, tolerating people, and, and the, the sense of, hey, yeah, you're doing something that I don't like or I don't agree with, but I'm supposed to be tolerant, so I'll, I'll let that go. But usually what it creates is this division amongst people, this, this sense of, well, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and uh, hopefully we never have to run across each other. Uh, and the, the, the church is different from that. And yet, at the same time, differences do exist. So how do, in the midst of this, uh, how do we pursue love? And in 1 Corinthians 8, he said, look, the key is everyone's conscience before God, that sense of what is my relationship like with God? How is that going? What, do I feel like, uh, do I know he loves me? Do I know I love him? Is that, is that relationship good or not? And here in 1 Corinthians 9, he tackles it from a different angle because after the service, I had uh, someone text me and say, okay, so if we have someone who, who, we, who is weaker in the sense of their conscience and what they think is right before God, how, how long, how long do I have to, to deal with this? And you notice Paul says, never again will I eat meat if this is a problem. Like he, he doesn't put a length on it. I said, well, I, well that... That's swearing, it's hard. And I want you to, he, he tackles this from a different angle, and I want you to see why he does, because he's going to approach this from the, the standpoint of kind of freedom and servanthood. Freedom that we have rights and we have servanthood, and that is, we serve others. And he puts these two, in a sense, intention for our behalf so that we can learn how we, we are to approach these things in a way that gives us strength, gives us motivation, and gives us uh, delight in doing so. And it, I'm going to boil it down to kind of three questions. There's three questions that you need to ask yourself coming out of 1 Corinthians 9 in such a way that you can put these two into, into, into uh, proper tension, if you will, in order that you can properly love the Lord and others in a way that is not like, well, I hope I never see them again. It's more like, well, I hope I do see them because I can show love to them and I can serve them when I have the opportunity. So the first question that I'd like to look at, and it goes into 1 Corinthians 9 in the first few verses here, is what rights do I have? Or what rights do you have? And so follow along as I read 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1 says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? 
If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are my seal of apostleship in the Lord. He's saying, look, I started the church in Corinth. Most of you were saved through my ministry. You understand that I was called by God, and I'm sent by the Lord to, to plant churches to help others to know about Jesus. He says, but he's, he's like, this is my defense to those who examine me. So he's defending, uh, defending how he operates in ministry. And if you say, well, this is his defense, it doesn't apply to me. Well, I would point you to the end of this section. So 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 uh, are all a section. And at the end of that section, which is actually 11 verse 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So this, this whole section, he's, he's giving a personal example, and we'll see why he's giving it a personal example. But it's for the purpose, not just of you going, okay, Paul, I get your perspective. That's fine for you but I'm going to do it differently. But he's actually giving you his perspective in order that you can walk in the same path, so to speak. Not do the exact same things, that's not the point, but walk in the same path that he's on. So this is his defense. Notice how he starts off his defense, verse 4. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? It's like it's just, I'm just making common observations in a sense. Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we would reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not eat we even more. Again, because he helped start the church here. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So, I start, first of all, not so much with his defense of his, of his, of his right as a, a pastor or as an apostle to get paid for what he does, but, but notice what his rights are. He says, don't I have the right to eat and drink? Don't I have the right to have a wife? Don't I have a right to get paid for my labor? You know. And he's going off here, in a sense, rights and freedoms. It's kind of the same term here, but he's using the term right because freedom means, well, you could, you, you could get it if you want, but right is, no, I, 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 no, no one should take the right from me, right? And it's exactly the way we use it in the United States when we talk about rights, right? These are my rights. Oh, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, right? He's using it in that sense, but it's a sense of freedom, right? And he's saying, look, as, as, a, as someone who's made in the image of God, who's created by God, who's put on this earth, I have the right to enjoy my life, so to speak. I have the right to, to enjoy the, 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 to, the, what I eat and drink. I have the right to have a wife. I have the right to get paid for my labor. I have, I have these freedoms, and, and they're not taken away from me. 
You can't, you can't take them away from me if I, if I want to insist on them, right? That's the whole point of a right. I mean, but at the same time, there's this balance here because obviously Paul is not married and, and he's, not, he's, he's not approaching it from that perspective. Bill, Bill Flanagan points this out. He says, singleness is not a disease for which the only known cure is marriage, right? Singleness is not a disease. It's, it's, just, it's just the state that he's in that he wants to serve God in. But if he chooses a different state, no one should deny him that right, right, is the point. Basically, Paul is saying you have a right to enjoy your life, even if you're serving God. It's a gift to you from God, and so you have the right to work toward that end. And pastors have the right to get paid to enjoy these things as well. Now, some may feel guilty about these rights. There are, there's a certain mentality amongst people. It's, it's called asceticism, in a sense. It's the idea that you always have to be self-denying. You always have to deny yourself in order to do good for others. But that is not the perspective of the Bible. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 7 says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in the life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. He's like, basically he's saying, Sheol is a reference to the grave, to death, and he's saying, hey, if you find something good to do and you enjoy do it, go do it. There's nothing wrong with it. God has given you a life. He wants you to enjoy it, pursue enjoying it. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. Now, Ecclesiastes adds a caveat here, right immediately after. He says, Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the, to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. <laughs> He's like, God doesn't owe you just because you're seeking to enjoy your life, that you're going to enjoy it exactly the way you anticipate that you will enjoy it. Like, oh, I'm going to make a million dollars. That's how I'm going to enjoy my life. No, that may not happen. Time and chance happen to us all. He goes on to say, For man does not know his time, like fish that are caught in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Like, we can't control our lives. Okay? But at the same time, Paul is saying here that you have the right to pursue enjoying your life even for those who quote, supposedly gave up their lives to serve the gospel. And I, I want to make this point, and I want to make it strongly, because there are some of you that are like, no, 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 no. I, I have to be self-denying. I, I have to deny myself and never have any fun in life, so to speak. And that's not the perspective of the Bible, okay? God gives you life to enjoy, and he's encouraging you to enjoy it. And, and if you need to work at that, you need to consider that. Again, Paul, Paul encourages you 
1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, you know, okay? He's saying, there's, there's, I, I do seek to enjoy my life. Now, Paul, in particular here, also has another perspective that he's going to put in tension. And it goes to the second question that I think you need to ask yourself in this process, which is, where do you have opportunity to serve as a reward? Where do you have the opportunity to serve as a reward? So notice how Paul goes on in verse 15 of of, of chapter 9. For I have not made use of any of these rights, nor am I seeking, am I writing these things to secure any such provision. He's not like, Paul's not saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not getting paid for what I do, because Paul wasn't. He would, he would be a, a, what we call a tent maker as a missionary, as a church planner. He, would, uh, he actually made tents and made sales, and that's how he, 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 he had made a living. And he wasn't saying, oh, I want to switch now. He's like, I'm not writing in order to switch Why? For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He's saying, God has called me to preach the gospel. He's given me that commission to preach the gospel, and I better do it. (laughs) There's no reward in just obeying in that sense. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if I'm not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship, right? He said, like, if I'm doing it willingly, that's great. In fact, Peter in 1 Peter tells pastors, do it willingly, not, not under compulsion. It should be a free choice you're making to do this. But he's saying, if I feel at certain times that I, I don't really want to do this, well, I still have a stewardship from God, a responsibility that I'm called to do. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. What he's saying is I'm willing to limit my rights in order to get a reward. That's what he's saying. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So he's saying that that servant and that idea of limiting your rights are, are, are similar ideas, okay? So the idea is I'm going to serve someone in a certain way and limit my rights in doing so, limit my freedoms in doing so. And, and by doing so, Paul says, in my understanding of how God operates, I get reward for doing that. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to be a, win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. It's an amazing statement. All those alls right there, right? I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I might be involved in the process of helping them to see the beauty and the wonder and the joy of the gospel. Because that's what he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Here, Paul is, key aspect here is that this servanthood aspect that he's talking about here is, is highly, it's, it's valued highly in the kingdom. Can I just remind you of a few verses that Jesus talked about when he talked about servanthood, Right? Jesus called to them, and that is his disciples, and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. 
and whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He's saying, you want greatness in the kingdom of God? Be a servant. And the more you can be a servant, the, the, in a sense, the greater you are. Now, that's a radically different approach to life. It's, it's to say, in some ways, hey, my, my life is not my own. I am bought with a price, and I'm going to glorify God, and I'm going to find ways to actually serve physical people in my life in ways that make me, in a sense, limit my behavior. Uh, in John 13, you remember the story how Jesus uh, washes his disciples' feet, right? Right before the, the Last Supper. And he ends that section in John 13 by saying this, You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you, should, you should also should do just as I have done to you. He's saying, he's saying, I did this not just to wash your feet to prepare you for supper because no one else could do it. I'm, I'm teaching you a lesson here. I'm your Lord and Master, and I'm going to say that I am <laughs> up front. But at the same time, I'm the one washing your feet. I'm willing to serve. And if I'm willing to do that, then you should be willing to do that for other people as well. It echoes the same thing. And here we add in that component of reward in Philippians chapter 2. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There, notice how he says, Christ humbled himself, became a servant, and then God exalted him, right? So it's, it's taking that component of where Christ is saying, value servanthood, and Paul is saying, and look what, how God rewarded him. It's echoed in Galatians chapter 5 in the same way. It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And he talks about how not to be in the flesh. Then he wraps up the section by saying, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give it up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. This echo, in a sense, what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 9. Look, there's a reward for deciding, you know what, I've got an opportunity to serve here. I've got an opportunity to lay down my rights and, 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 and limit my behavior for the, for the purpose of blessing and, and sharing in the blessings of the gospel with some other person, and I'm willing to do that. He's, he's changed it from, in a sense, well, in a sense, who's weak and who's strong to, are you willing to lay down your rights for your brother, or for your potential brother, as is he's saying here, to share in its blessings, to share in the, gospel, the blessings of the gospel. 
I ran across this story. Maybe this will help you think about it in, in this sense. Kevin Harney shares this story in his book, Seismic Shifts. He says, it was a battle, a wrestling match, a test of wills. Every day, at exactly the same time, Margaret would go to the bathroom cabinet, open it, and take out a huge bottle of castor oil. Then she would head to the kitchen to get a tablespoon. At the sound of the drawer opening and the silverware rattling, patches, her Yorkshire terrier would run and hide. Sometimes under the bed, other times in the bathtub, or behind Margaret's recliner, patches knew what was coming. Someone had convinced Margaret that her beloved dog would have strong teeth, a beautiful coat, and long life if she gave him a spoonful of castor oil every day. And so... As an act of love, every 24 hours, she cornered Patches, pinned him down, pried open his mouth, and as he squirmed, squimpered, and fought her with all his strength, she poured a tablespoon of castor oil down his little doggy throat. I would rather not have wanted to be Patches, right? No one would want to be Patches. Neither Patches nor Margaret enjoyed their daily wrestling match. Then one day, in the middle of their battle royale, with one sideways kick, Patches has sent the dreaded bottle of castor oil flying across the kitchen floor. It was a momentary victory for the canine as Margaret let him go so she could run to the pantry and grab a towel to wrap up and clean up the mess. When Margaret got back, she was utterly shocked. There was Patches licking up the spilled castor oil with a look of satisfaction only a dog can make. Margaret began to laugh uncontrollably. In one moment, it all made sense. Patches liked castor oil. He just hated being pinned down and having it poured down his throat. And the beauty of the gospel is if people really understand the gospel, they want it. I mean, if God is working on their heart, they want it. But too often, we think we need to force it down their throat. We need to be like, well, you've got, to, you've got to conform to me in the way I live my life, in the way I'm, I'm doing life in order for you to understand the gospel. And Paul is saying here, no, I'm willing to lay down my rights. I'm willing to lay down my freedoms in order to serve those that, that need the gospel, that need to experience the blessings of the gospel. And so if you're weak, then I'm going to lay, I'm going to lay it down. Why? Because the gospel is so much better than my right to the food I eat. My, my, the gospel is so much better than whether I'm a Jew, I live as a Jew or not. You, you, you get what he's saying? Because Paul is a Jew, right? You, when he says, I became as a Jew, Paul is a Jew. <laughs> so what is he saying? He's saying, well, I don't live according to the Jewish customs and rules all the time because I work with Gentiles, and I, so I don't live that way all the time. But if, if I'm with Jews, then I'll practice the Sabbath, and I'll go to synagogue, and I'll, and I'll do all those things that kind of are Jewishness, so to speak. Why? Because I want to get past the Jewishness and get to the gospel. I want to help people to see that. For those, he says, for those under the law, so probably those were Gentiles who were converted Jews who lived according to the law but weren't, in a sense, racially Jewish. He's like, I do the same thing. I live under the law. I don't violate the law. Even though I could, I don't have to keep all the laws and regulations that are in Deuteronomy, for instance. I'm not, Christ fulfilled the law. I don't have to keep the law, but I'm willing to live under that if just to get to the gospel and help people to share in its blessings. And, and so Paul is, is saying something that for some of us is something we would 
rather not do. We would, we would rather, this is, I know my own heart here too sometimes, we would rather try to be Christians and have all our freedoms and, and, and joys in life and never give anything up, right? It's like we're always kind of struggling, balance, struggling with balancing. How do I be a Christian but not, not give up all the things I want to do, <laughs> right? And sometimes, obviously, God's law, because he talks about the law of Christ, God's law comes in and says the, the things that you want to do are sinful, they're wrong, you can't do them, and we have to give those up. But a lot of things aren't wrong, they're just the way we want to live life and the, what we want to do. And God comes to us sometimes and says, you've got a neighbor. You've got a coworker. If you did those things, they would stumble. They would not understand the gospel. They would, they would not be able to understand what it means to be forgiven of sin and the grace of God and how it comes into your life. But, but, you're, but you're still so interested in keeping your freedoms and holding on to them and holding on to your rights that you're never willing to give those up in order to love your neighbor and help them to see the glory of the gospel. Sometimes as pastors we talk about helping our people to know doctrinally better how to, how to believe and what to think, and that's often very important. But sometimes it's not about that. It's about are you just willing to give up your rights in order to love your neighbor? Are you willing to get close enough to your neighbor to love them to limit yourself for them. And so Paul, at the end here, asks a final question that could help us to think about this. In a sense, it's not the gospel. The last question that you can ask is, how can you run well? How can you run well? That's actually the question to ask. How can you run well? Notice what he says. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, and I do not box as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What's he saying here? He's not saying that we're competing with other Christians for a prize that only one of us gets. You're competing against yourself. He says, I discipline my body because I know I'm really what I'm fighting against is not, not other Christians, not even unbelievers. I'm fighting against my flesh. I want the reward. I want the reward of, of, of standing before God and hearing, hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servants. I want, him, I want to, that reward of knowing, hey, I love God and I loved him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I pursued that even though I wasn't perfect, even though I, I didn't do it always exactly right, but I was pursuing that with my life and with my thoughts and with my actions. And I was willing to limit myself and my actions in order to love those around me who were different from me. That is what Christians, in a sense, in a sense, makes Christians. Now you say, well, is he talking here about, are you really a Christian or not? Or is he just talking about the reward? And my answer would be something like this. Yes. <laughs> if, if you're never pursuing a reward, if you're never living according to the grace of God, if you're never seeking to love your neighbor as yourself, you should at least question whether you're a Christian or not. But you aren't going to do it fully. You're not going to do it perfectly. And Paul here is not saying that you have to do everything that he does. Like, okay, I, I'm, I've got to find every person that I run across with and become all things to all people. You're, you're not as free as Paul. 
You might be married and have a family. You're responsible to take care of that family, to to nurture that family, to love that family. You don't have all the freedoms, in a sense, that Paul has to become all things to all men in in certain ways. That's okay. You see, this is is not a competition about how much to serve. The the competition is really, am I willing to limit myself? And, and live that consistently before God out of love, not out of duty or compulsion. Now, discipline in this sense, to run well, has sometimes become a dirty word in our culture. Um, just ran across a story that might help us understand that better. He says this, I know I'm speaking heresy in many circles, but spontaneity, spontaneity is greatly overvalued sometimes. The spontaneous person who shrugs off the need for discipline is like the farmer who went out to gather eggs. As he walked across the farmyard toward the hen house, he noticed the pump was leaking, so he stopped to fix it. It needed a new washer, so he got, went off to the barn to get one. But on the way, he saw that the hayloft needed straightening, so he went off to fetch the pitchfork. But by hanging next to the pitchfork was a broom with a broken handle. I must make a note to myself to buy a new broom handle the next time he goes to town, he thought. And he goes to write that note down. By now it is clear that the farmer is never going to get his eggs gathered, right? Nor is he likely to accomplish anything else he sets out to do. He is utterly, gloriously spontaneous, but he is hardly free. He is, if anything, a prisoner to his unbridled spontaneity. The fact of the matter is that discipline is the only way to freedom. It is the necessary context for spontaneity. We have to know where we're headed and what we're trying to accomplish. And God has called us to love him by loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so we limit our behavior at times. Now, you might run across a neighbor who you don't need to limit your behavior at all. That's fine. That's great. Love them without limiting your behavior. But sometimes God has called us to to limit our behavior, to, to balance our rights, in a sense, with the opportunities to do hard things, to serve others, to help them understand and love the gospel. This is a free choice you have. Can I just I'll say this again? This is a free choice you have. You're not more spiritual or less spiritual based on the choices you make here. It's, this isn't a, a, it's not like that. It's a free choice. You do it out of love for God. And sometimes somebody may say, well, why, why did you do that over here and not over there? Because the Spirit led you to do it. He gave you that burden in your heart. He gave you a a heart of love for that particular person or that particular situation. And you chose to limit yourself in that situation. I think in churches, we need to avoid those who would manipulate this concept, guilt trip you into certain behavior, and take away your freedom in Christ. You understand that, right? There's certain approaches to Christianity that would say, this isn't a free choice. You have to do it the way I say to do it. You know, limit yourself in this way. Because if you're not, you're not spiritual. And I'm saying, avoid those kinds of people. Avoid those kinds of churches. But at the same time, find those who are challenging themselves and will encourage you to, to challenge yourself, right? We, we, need that, we need that brotherhood, of, that band of brothers, so to speak, that are saying, hey, let's, let's, challenge, let's challenge each other. Let's, let's go after this. That's what I appreciate about the core groups and, and how we approach accountability over all our church, we're saying, we're not trying to say, well, you better do all, you know, these things and, and hold our, you know, we're going to hold you to our standard. We, we look at you and say, what do you think God wants you to do? 
Let's, let's, let's help you do what God wants you to do. Because that's freedom in Christ. This is a free choice we have. Love, is, in a sense, is not love if it's not a free choice to choose to pursue others out of love. This is the radical difference between us and non-Christian communities, in a sense. Because, again, they're going to either be tolerant, like, hey, just let anything go. Don't make judgments. But we all make judgments, and we avoid people we don't like then. Or we say, everybody's got to do it the same way. We've got to behave the same way. We've got to do the same things. And if you don't do all the things that we do, then you're out. Just look at high school. And God is saying, no. You have, the, you have rights. You have the ability to enjoy your life. I've given you life to enjoy. Find ways of enjoying that life. But at the same time, I'm putting people in your life that could be difficult to love. And of those people, choose one or two and say, I'm going to love these people. I'm going to limit myself. I'm going to limit my freedoms because I want the, the joy of, of walking in fellowship with them around the gospel more than anything else in my life. That is, in a sense, why we have community groups. Not that we're trying to get everybody to do life the same way, but we want to encourage one another. This is not easy. When you run into those hard, people that are hard to love and you limit yourself for them, that's not easy to do. You need encouragement. You need strength. You need, hey, let's, I'm doing it. Let's do it together, right? We need that. So we encourage you, get in a community group. Enjoy that freedom and that, and that serving of one another. You, you realize if you're not willing to do it to your fellow believers, it's going to be really hard to do it to your unsaved neighbor or your unsaved coworker. Again, some of you struggle to enjoy life. And you need to hear clearly Paul saying, there are rights you have. Find things to enjoy in life. Do it. Pursue it. It's good. Some of you need to limit yourself. You've never limited yourself to serve anyone else. You've simply tried to always avoid any situation where you had to limit yourself. May I just point out, I don't think, according to this passage, I don't think God is honored, and I don't think the power of the gospel is as clear if we're not doing some of it some of the time. Does that make sense? If we're not limiting ourselves some of the time to love others, then the gospel is not as clear as it could be in our lives. And I realize this is intensely personal, but, but that's why this is an intensely personal example. And it must be this way. This is why he starts with 1 Corinthians 8, and he talks about the conscience because it's about your conscience before God. You know, Amy and I, we seek to limit ourselves in certain ways. Why? To love our neighbors. To love this church. Why? Because we want to share in the gospel with you. We've made certain choices. And those sometimes they're hard. Like Amy doesn't have a job on her own. And I'm not saying you can't. We're not saying she might not in the future. But right now she doesn't. Why? Because she is able to serve our family and serve our, this church in ways that she couldn't if she had a job. Right? We choose to do that. And is it hard sometimes? Absolutely it's hard. You know, when you're trying to balance a budget with inflation for seven kids and groceries, it's not easy to do sometimes. You know? But is it worth it? Absolutely. Because we get to share in the joys of the gospel. 
Sometimes with my neighbors, I, I limit my discussion of politics. Why? Because it's not that important to the gospel. It's just not. It, now, maybe in certain situations it is, and I need to stand firm and stand bold and say, this is what it is. But, but you're, you're sitting there, and it's, you're, you have a free choice about how you go about it. Why? Because God has given me a heart for this church. God has given me a heart for Ames. God has given me a heart for this community. Why? Because this community needs the gospel. Students need the gospel. Family needs the gospel. Because it is the power of God to salvation, is it not? It's what everyone needs, and they need to experience the joys of it. Just as, Paul, as, as Jed had us look at Ephesians chapter 2, right? The grace of God that comes to us, that's going to be a, the, to us for un, unending ages to come. The exceeding riches of the grace that God has planned for us. I want more people to know that. I want you to know that. And so my question to you is, who has God given you a heart for? Don't say nobody. If you say nobody, I'm going to be like, okay, let's talk about, do you understand the grace of God? But it doesn't have to be 10 people. It just could be one, one person. You're like, hey, you know what? I can, I can limit myself for them. I can, I can reach out and love to them. I can not worry about certain things that I would do normally, but I'm not going to do them around them. Why? Because I want them to understand the gospel. And I want them to understand the love of God. So here, three questions. Do you know what your rights are? You need to know. Don't give them up. But do you, do you see opportunities to, to serve others, to lay down those rights occasionally? so you can love others and share in the gospel blessings that come from loving others? And are you running well? Some of you have given up rights, but it's hard sometimes. <laughs> it's difficult. It's, it's not easy sometimes. And I get it. It's intensely personal. This is something that's really between you and God, and no one else can enter into it. I can't tell you what to do here. That's the, the beauty of living in this tension. The tension between your rights to enjoy your life and the, the love that God puts in your heart for other people that you'd be willing to say, okay, I'm not going to do certain things because I want to love that person. It's strictly between you and God. But, but live that. Enjoy that. Enjoy that tension. Why? Because it helps you to see the gospel clearer. That God loves you that God has forgiven your sins, that he's a heart for you, that, that the, the Son of God was willing to serve you by taking the form of, of a human being and coming in the likeness of man and, and going to the cross and dying for you. And there is a reward waiting for those who reach out and love to others and serve them, just like Jesus has a reward for serving his Father. So will you do it? I don't know who God has laid on your heart. You talk to God about that. Talk to your, if you're married, talk to your spouse about it. Maybe it's something you're doing together. Maybe it's not. But we need to be a people who enjoy life and at the same time seek to love those around us and limit ourselves at times in order to make that happen. Will you do it?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul's example here and his sharing of his heart. It's intensely personal for him, just as it's intensely personal for all of us. Lord, I, I pray for those who struggle with enjoying life. And they're always missing out sometimes on the, the, the freedoms you have given us to, to enjoy life and, and, and find the beauty and the wonder and the enjoyment of life that you have put into this life. I pray that they would find that joy. But I know all of us struggle at times with limiting ourselves in order to love others. We don't live in a culture that limits itself. We're always seeking to unlimit ourselves. But you have called us to limit ourselves to love others and do it freely because of the love we have for you and the joy we have in the gospel. Help us to do that so that we can have that reward in front of us and hear you say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome into the joy of your Lord. We look forward to that day. In your son's name we pray.